Section 264 of the Lincoln Storybook by Henry L. Williams. That's what's the matter. Read for LibriVox.org by Magdalena Cook. That's what's the matter. In a spiritualist performance at the White House, which seemed to have been edited by the President himself, as often royalty revises plays for his special entertainment, the cabinet being invited, after a rigmarole of stilted phrases purporting to be by Washington, Franklin, Napoleon, and other past celebrities, Mr. Wells, Secretary of the Navy, remarked, I will think this matter over and see what conclusion to arrive at. This was his set phrase. There was a smile at this, as the aged minister's prolonged meditations were the laughing stock of the country, he being the clog on the wheels of the car of state. Instantly raps were heard in the spirit cabinet, and the alphabet being consulted, the result was spelled out as, That's what's the matter. This hit at Mr. Wells' stereotyped fault aroused more mirth, and the crowd at the back of the room, domestics, petty officials, and sub-officers laughed prodigiously, while the secretary stroked his long white beard musingly. To this cant term hangs a tale, propus of the president. Its origin was low, but humorous. A benevolent gentleman pierced a crowd to its centre to see there, on the pavement under a lamp-post, a poor woman, curled in a heap, with a satisfied grin on her flushed face, breathing brokenly. "'What's the matter?' eagerly inquired the compassionate man. A bystander removed his pipe from his mouth, and with it pointed to a flattened pocket-flask sticking out of her smashed reticule, half under her, and sententiously explained. "'That's what's the matter with Hannah.' The sentence took growth and spread all over the Union. It has settled down, as we know, to a fixed form at political meetings, where the audience beguiled the waiting time with demanding, What is the matter? with this or that favourite demagogue. In the sixties, it patly answered any problem. At the presidential election time of Lincoln's success, a Negro minstrel, Unsworth, was the star at 444 Broadway dressing up the daily news drolly under his title, that is, ending each paragraph with that line. On the 22nd of February, 1861, Abraham Lincoln scheduled to pass on from Harrisburg, where he had made a speech as arranged, instead of waiting to depart by the morning train. Sped to Philadelphia, and thence by a special train, detained for a military messenger with a parcel, to Washington, by the regular midnight train. The news of his arrival at the capital by this unexpected and clandestine route, and in disguise, this was denied, of a Scotch cap and plaid shawl, startled everybody. Rumours of an attempt to make mischief, as he called it, were rife. But the public still took things as quake-proof, and Mr. Lincoln assured his audiences, as he spoke at every city on his way, that the crisis was artificial. On the evening of the 23rd, the writer dropped into the Broadway Negro Minstrel Hall. Newspaper men knew that Unsworth introduced the latest skimming off the press into his burlesque lecture, and liked to hear his funny versions and perversions. The comic sheet of the Metropolis, Vanity Fair, enframing the witty scintillations of Artemis Ward, George Arnold, and a brilliant band, complained that this nigger comedian used or anticipated their best effusions. On the whole, the public saw in the surreptitious flight of the ruler into his due seat only a farce, in keeping with his jesting humour. He was regarded as Don Quixote, in figure, but a Sancho Panza for his philosophical proverbs, widely retailed and considered opportune. 
So the indignation proper toward the forced escapade was absent. Everybody still mocked at the terrible plots, as so much stale quail. And when the blackened-faced orator, coming to a pause after enunciation of his, that's what's the matter, looked around wistfully, the audience were agog. Suddenly out of the wing an attendant darted with an alarmed manner and face. He carried on his arm a shawl, grey and travel-stained, and in one shaking hand a Scotch bonnet. Unsworth snatched him in hot haste and fright, clapped on the cap, and, draping himself in the plate, rushed off at the side, forgetting his own high silk hat. This was the black suit. The orthodox lecturers now gave him a resemblance to Mr. Lincoln, not previously perceived, for they were men of opposite shapes. The eclipse brought home to the spectators the ludicrousness of the president entering his capital in secret. But, I repeat, no one felt any shame, and the audience went forth to relate the excellent finish to the parrot, at home or in the saloons, to hearers as obtuse as themselves, to the seriousness of the episode. Somehow, so far, the elect from Illinois was ever the western buffoon. But when, in his inaugural address, Lincoln thundered the new keynote, the veil fell. In your hands, my dissatisfied fellow countrymen, is the momentous issue of the Civil War. War? The crisis was no longer artificial. He admitted that. What impended? What had fallen? Jest and Ernest were still coupled, but Ernest took the lead from that hour. So the chief magistrate, in his first official speech, Physically speaking, we cannot separate. That's what's the matter. End of section 264 this recording is in the public domain.